Welcome to Frogs, Books, and Booze. This is your host, Jamie. And I'm Monica. Hello, hello. I'm sorry. I just had to do the woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> it's Sunday. We're podcasting. It's been a while. <laughs> Everything's been crazy town. Yeah. So our book today is called Drunk, How We Sipped, Danced, and Stumbled Our Way Through Civilization. Uh, I forgot the guy's name. Something it's called. Edward Slingerland. Yes. Yes. Okay. I knew the last name, but I couldn't remember his first. <laughs> it's a nice follow-up to the uh, This Is Your Mind on Plants book. It is. Although, we did do a brief history of drunkenness. So that book, being as good as it was, may have ruined me for this book. I find myself being a little judgy. Yeah. I mean, like, let's start, start with, like, his writing style. Yes. yes. His writing style is kind of... All over the place. Yes. I, I, at times, was like, wait, what is this chapter about? Right. And I don't, you know, I don't want to be too harsh. This wasn't a horrible book, and I would love to write a book, and I can't. So, like, he did way better than I could do. It's written, it's published. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. But, um, yeah, it was a little wandery at times, I felt. How did you think the pace went? Um, for me, this may just be because personally I had a lazy November. I put absolutely no expectations on myself in November. I might not have been in a great headspace to like really dive into a book. You know what I mean? So I felt the pace. I felt it a little, oh, sorry. (laughs) Time to podcast. My alarm went off. (laughs) I found the pace a little, um slow like it was really hard for me to to like I didn't get lost in the book yeah it was a little hard to get through I felt that his wandering around like oh this is what we're talking about distracted me so I felt like the pace was also very slow yeah I actually just finished the book about an hour before we did this It took me a while to get through it, too. Now, I did like his tone. He seemed um, intelligent, but also in a familiar, friendly kind of way. And um, not pretentious, like, I'm having to look up all these words. Exactly. Yeah. So the tone was nice. Um, I Like I said, I didn't hate it. Yeah. He's a professor, and so I was expecting... Um, a philosophical um sort of like a evolutionary biology view in it which there was some of that but there was a lot less than what i was expecting well i feel like he might being a professor be one of those people who does really well speaking and maybe it doesn't translate as well into reading well you know like the stereotype of the absent-minded professor <laughs> i felt like that was definitely him yeah I was like, oh, this is definitely an absent-minded professor. Yeah. I felt like a better title for the book also would have been something more like Justifications for Drinking. (laughs) (laughs) I found it was less of a history and less of a science-based book and more of like a, hey, it's okay to get drunk because we've always done so as human beings, you know? (laughs) I... I would agree with that. There was a lot of justification of why we should drink and why drinking isn't bad. So yeah, there was definitely because he briefly talks about 
the theory of beer before bread. Mm-hmm. And he points out, oh, which is one of my first topics, mm-hmm. that non-humans were consuming alcohol long before we evolved to be humans. So we weren't like the first animal in our biological lineage to consume alcohol. So we have these enzymes, which are not like prevalent across all populations of humans, but a lot of them, most of them. Right. And I did like his beer before bread theory. Um, I, it's probably not his theory, but what he talked about. And I felt like it did make sense. Um, I can totally see like people congregating and eventually developing agriculture because they really enjoy having handy beer and wine. <laughs> like, we're just that kind of people, you know? Right. Yeah, you want to talk about Gobe Tepe? Yes. Um, Gobe, Gobekli Tepe is near Turkey. I did look it up, and he did say it in the book. It is in modern-day Turkey or thereabouts. And... It is an old structure, like 10,000 years ago. Um, Most people agree that's how old it is. And it has these huge, it's a monolith, and it has these huge basins, and lots and lots and lots of labor would have been involved in creating this. And from what they can tell, it was like a gathering place for different nomadic types of people to get together and drink. (laughs) So... um, other religious ceremonies, too. Sure. Yeah. You know, they suspect that's when you have your tribe and you mix it up. Like, you get new people, you get less people. You know, marriages are formed. You know, that right. sort of thing would happen there, too. But, yeah. And and we can it's never a celebration. know. And we can never know for sure, of course. But, you know, different testing of the, of the vats and different things lead them to believe that this was where there was a lot of alcohol involved and whatever was going on there. And so that was, you know, really, really long time ago. (laughs) Yeah. This has been happening for a while. Right. So do you, do you want to talk about, so there's particulars of East Asians having difficulty metabolizing alcohol and they get the flushing syndrome. So you want to talk about what he his theories for that? Well, I remember reading that, and so I may have to defer to you to the to exactly what he said about it, because I remember reading that section and thinking, oh, when I was in Japan in college, everybody was amazed that as a woman especially, like, I could drink beer, because a lot of my friends from the college there would literally have, like, one glass of something, and they would be very red and flushed and, you know, really couldn't have much more alcohol. And so I just remember thinking that when I read that part. (laughs) Well, uh, he thinks that it's a biological protection against negative consequences of alcohol. Oh, gosh, I wish I had that. (laughs) (laughs) Can you can you sign up for that? (laughs) Take all my enzymes away. <laughs> yeah, they're missing a, a key enzyme for processing alcohol. So, and you know that's kind of counterintuitive to the to his theory that you know we've been drinking alcohol. Pe- things have been drinking alcohol since before human beings, and human beings Millions have these of enzymes years. for it, yeah. and we're meant to do it. But but 
you know, nature in this one specific circumstance said, oh, but what if you don't? <laughs> yeah. So it was a little weird. I think it was more like a genetic mutation that made it more advantageous for them not to consume large quantities of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Or it could have just been like, we decided not to do that and that trait sort of was bred out, so to speak. He also does a lot of talking about other intoxicants besides alcohol. In a really roundy, weird sort of way. Definitely not Michael Pollan. No. <laughs> Definitely not Michael Pollan. <laughs> no, he, he does talk about Mescal and LSD and MDMA and how they're, you know pervasive across all cultures across the world and how they all sort of do these social benefits for everyone basically they make us all get along that i think that was the his pervasive theory was that being intoxicated helps us to trust other human beings help us to get along in situations where we're around people who aren't in our close friend and family group um, and generally how it it does. It makes people more relaxed and happy and receptive and open, which I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I've been having lots of thinks about it. <laughs> well, in the Michael Pollan book, they did talk about how the um, mezcal was used in the religious ceremonies and it did bring people together and it mm-hmm. did bring the sense of community and that oneness and feeling the oneness feeling yeah. so i mean like yeah i was like well yeah that's true for some of it and he does talk about like the social benefits so one of them is the communal so yes in cir- circum uh, certain circumstances it does bring people together as a community in that oneness and then the other one was creativity. Now, this one, I had to really, um, I had to really try and, and agree with this one. Because I can see it. I can sort of see it. I have not ever been able to be creative while drinking. You know? Except for right now. Okay, well, <laughs> yes, we, are, we are speaking eloquently. <laughs> But, you know, to to have a few drinks and, you know, write some poetry or um, write a novel or paint a picture is not something that I have been able to do. But I know that there are several artists who, well, there's this one um, abstract artist. I wish I could remember his name. I did not research it before the podcast, but he did these. Um, so it's very abstract and it's basically like splatter paint. But the thing is, is that he was always drunk. So when he was walking around this giant canvas splattering the paint, he had this really weird sort of stumbly wobble (laughs) that gave almost like a Fibonacci type um, fractal, a fractal type pattern to his painting. It was like really stunning. And everybody tried to recreate it, recreate it, recreate it. And they couldn't until somebody finally figured out, hey, wait, this guy was drunk, (laughs) you know? And so they got that wobble in there and they started to get a little bit more of the same effects. So I know that there are people, and I think writers are notoriously at times, (laughs) they like to drink. I don't know. I think alcoholism has been a strong trait (laughs) of a lot of writers. (laughs) And 
maybe that has to do with, you know, the self-confidence part of, you know, when you drink a certain amount, you um, feel less critical or judgmental of yourself. And um, I, I'm not too sure. I, I don't experience that in my own life, but I do see the validity of that. He spent, the author spent a lot of time talking about his trip where he was going to solve all of humanity's problems by describing the color blue. And he wrote 20 pages and he looked at it and was like, this craft doesn't make any sense. So I think it could go both ways. Yeah. And another social benefit he said was cultural. It brings people together. And he does talk about the differences of alcohol in different cultures. So northern cultures where you're drinking spirits, you're drinking alone, it's seen as manly. And southern cultures where you're drinking with meals and you're drinking wine or beer and you're watering it down and you're giving it to kids and it's social. You don't drink alone, you always drink with people. Yeah, and I think that's a... I mean, I'm not sure how that um, works out in an evolutionary way, why different types of people drink in different ways. But one of the things he talked about was the French paradox, uh, the, where they have this lifestyle that should be pervasive for heart disease, like tons of drinking and lots of butter and rich foods and everything else like that. And yet they don't, you know. And the only thing I could think of when reading that is... I feel like sometimes as human beings, and we've talked about this on different other podcasts, um, like the power of your mind is really strong as a human being. And with wine being such a huge part of the French culture and their bread and their pastries and everything else, like it would, they would laugh if you told them it was not healthy. Like they so believe that it's healthy and that it's good for you that it is. So I really don't think that's much of a paradox I think that's just like one of those really visible mind over matter type situations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's just me. I can't prove that scientifically. But... <laughs> I'm like, oh, I should be French. Oh my gosh. All the cheese. And oh the my cheese, goodness. The bread. The yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I could totally live on it. But we're cursed to be, you know, puritanical. <laughs> Americans. Americans. <laughs> America. Which does, uh, he also talks about the religious benefits of alcohol, which um, we talked briefly about the Native American ghost dance, which Michael Pollan had also talked about extensively in his book. And then, you know, um, like communion for Christians and other uh psychedelics for other religions bringing people together in these religious ceremonies and different types of substances which would be for like all the people whereas some of the more ones that had dramatic experiences would be mostly for like the shamans or the priests and or they the had a lot and... of rules with them mm -hmm. so there was a lot of you know regulation about when it was used and where it was used so then that didn't lead to alcohol abuse yeah Oh, before we talk about the negative effects, um, today we are drinking Blood Orange Blonde by Haymarket Beer Company. What do you think? You know what? 
I really like it. I've had Haymarket beer before, and it's pretty good. I'm usually not a blonde beer drinker, but the blood orange makes it really nice. Yeah, I was I was like, oh, the blood orange, that looks interesting. Let's give it a try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it's quite good. Yeah, and uh, it's brewed and bottled in Bridgman, Michigan, which is really exciting. I always love drinking like local beers and wines. I feel like... That's one of our topics coming up is negative effects of alcohol. I feel like I have less negative effects of alcohol when I'm drinking something that's more locally made. And that could just be my mindset, but I don't know. I think it might be true. You might be more mindful of your drinking because mm-hmm. you're being mindful about what you're choosing. And what I, Yeah, I'm thinking about what I'm putting into my body and I'm enjoying it and... You know, maybe it could just be it has less preservatives in it. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's more of a mindful experience yeah. when you're mindful about what you're choosing. Yeah, that's true. So he does talk about negative effects in the last chapter. And it's it's pretty long. It's pretty detailed. And people are like, oh, you got to be such a bummer. You've spent like 70% of the book talking about how alcohol is so great. We should just drink booze. Now, now you go and ruin the party. <laughs> And I will admit, I read this last part of the book really, really fast. And it seems like one of his, um, you know, you can't talk about alcohol without talking about things like alcoholism and drunk driving and, you know, abuses that happen because these things do happen. So no matter how much you are justifying that human beings drink alcohol, the fact of the matter is, is a lot of human beings abuse alcohol. And I thought that his um, his talk about distilled spirits made a lot of sense. Because, you know, we read the history of drinking and, it, you know, the Greeks and the Romans, they watered down their wine. They had, you know, connoisseurs sort of who kept the temple of the party going. You know, if they're getting really drunk, they're getting really drunk. And if they're like, no, we just want to have a light buzz, this is how it's going to go. They have people moderating it, you know? It's like a communal activity that was going on. Whereas the distilled spirits are, generally speaking, more of an alone activity. And it's so much easier to abuse because you have so much more blood alcohol. And I think that did agree with the brief history of drunkenness when he talked about um, gin that time when... Oh, right. And it became rampant and it horrible child abuse and all yeah, of those things like I remember that happened. the woman selling her child for, yeah for gen. it reminds me of like a meth epidemic you know and I, at the time it was probably so potent that that was probably almost like what it was like um so i feel like he's spot on with the liquor definitely being less of a natural thing for human beings than beer and wine right and i would definitely agree with that he also talks about Nietzsche, which I'm like, oh, I hate that guy. You know, I a lot of times hate Nietzsche, but sometimes I gotta say. <laughs> but go ahead with, because um, I have another one that I want to read after you oh, talk about that. Like his praise of um, Dionysus and, you know, hedonistic experiences of just, you know, drunken festivals. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> At, towards the beginning of the book, um, I'll read this part. 
It says, Leo Tolstoy was an uncompromising hard-ass when it comes to confronting reality. He therefore had a predictably dour view of intoxicant use. In his 1890 essay, Why Do Men Stupefy Themselves?, he declares that the cause of the worldwide consumption, consumption of hashish, opium, wine, and tobacco lies not in the taste, nor in any pleasure, recreation, or mirth they afford, but simply in man's need to hide himself from the demands of consciousness. Ouch. <laughs> and I read that and I thought, yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I did think that that was super interesting where he talks about how just being a human being, just being stressful, that it's only natural for us to find ways to kind of escape consciousness, to escape having to think about things and worry about things. And, and that's kind of probably why we did it. And then he talks a little bit about some, you know, experiments with stressed out rats and happy rats and stressed out rats drink more. And I was like, yeah, you know, that We've seems... Yeah, we've read that in, in many other books where the, the lowest rat on the totem pole drinks the most mad booze. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was definitely interesting. And he also talks at one point, which I thought was interesting, um, was about Americans. And I can't find it exactly where it is in the book right now. But a lot of it is um, Americans have a very puritanical view about alcohol so we're a real mixed bag over here yeah. like we really can be seen as you know we're very individualistic we do what we want um we don't care what anybody thinks but yet we have a lot of guilt and shame over these things that we do so <laughs> yes. so in order to yep. say drink alcohol you also have to be like i'm a horrible person like my worth as a human being is nothing you know <laughs> And all of this, no matter if you're religious or not, that's just a lot of our, um, that, that puritanical Christian culture that's just pervasive in our society, whether you are religious or not religious. And it's very evident when you think about it and look at us compared to other countries and like say France, for example, and they're drinking as being healthy and, you know, you do it with family and everyday life. Yeah, and like there would be nothing, nothing to think. No one would think I am a horrible, horrible person. You know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he did make some very good points that I thought were very um, thought provoking. I really enjoyed his um, section about alternatives to alcohol as well. So he said that oftentimes people who choose not to drink are excluded from social um, parties, Mm -hmm. functions. And he even talks about how, like, Google has the whiskey bar. Yes. And how, you know, people who choose not to drink are excluded. So he said that he interviewed this woman who had um, suggestions for including everyone. And one of them was high-quality non-alcoholic beverages, Mm -hmm. which... Way back when, my friend Heather, who is a mixologist, did a alcohol-free mixology class at the library. In fact, the shaker that we use for all of our mixed drinks, I won from the library because <laughs> I'm just a library nerd. <laughs> and you win everything at the library. <laughs> I do. I never win. 
things like you're very lucky i'm like yeah i do want a lot of crap but i'm like i stack the you know the box when i can yeah but she had uh she had made like a gin extract from juniper berries that tasted just like gin mm. so she made gin and tonics that were non-alcoholic that looked and tasted just like gin nice so it's, it's like you know having those sorts of high quality non-alcoholic beverages available well and i think it's really interesting that the younger generations are more likely to have go to juice bars and to do to not have alcohol involved in their activities um i will say that i mean my own daughter never never drinks never even crosses her mind to have alcohol she thinks it's stupid it tastes terrible it will give you a headache. Like, why would you do that to yourself? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, really. Why would I do that to myself? <laughs> you know? Like, why do you have to have so much common sense? <laughs> but I think that they are demanding um, because they have resources to spend, too. So it's not just they don't go to bars. So places like our friend's tea shop downtown, you know, tea shops, juice bars, those kind of things become more it's the gathering place. I feel like that's important. Um, I feel like the author of this book really stressed the intoxication as what brings together those ideas to flow and people to come together. But I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it's more of the actually getting together. I would agree. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's just the mentality of the group of the gathering. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what we're here for. And you just have to be able to put yourself in the place and relax and enjoy that moment for yeah. that creativeness to, to happen. Yeah. So I, I thought overall it was, you know, it was worth reading. Mm-hmm. It was worth discussing. Right. It wasn't fantastic, but it was, it was all right. I think if you're interested in this topic, um, look at our other podcast about a brief history of drunkenness. And I would say, Definitely consider reading that book first. I feel like it has almost all the information that's in this book and presented in a much more concise way. Easier to read. Definitely. Yeah. A lot more enjoyable. But, yeah. but you know, we're not dissing you. <laughs> like, I didn't hate the book. I'm just, you know. I thought it was really interesting that he wrote it during the um, pandemic as well. So, oh, yeah, we didn't touch on that, and and I think that is a good point, and maybe that is the one dimension that this book brings, you know, rather than the other books we've read about intoxication and drunkenness, is just that, this isolation effect that we have, and, and you know, he talks about drinking in relation to, like, business meetings and things like that, and how video conferencing and FaceTime and stuff did not stop business travel and business gatherings and I didn't realize but that is such a huge part of business like your your sales people and stuff like really that's their whole job is like going out and eating and drinking and hanging out with people and so that whole you know you don't trust somebody who doesn't drink thing I think that that is kind of a really prevalent mentality in in a lot of business but yeah, I found that part very eye-opening mm-hmm. as well. And I could confirm it from different work experiences that I've had that, yes, that does happen. <laughs> well, 
he said you don't go to a conference just to go and learn something. No. You go to network or meeting people like minded who want the same things, and you're you know getting contacts. And he's like, you can't do that on Zoom. You can't no. have, even if you put in like little breakout meetings of like right. ten people. It's still not the same. You're not getting the same experience. And even people tried to have Zoom like cocktail mm-hmm. parties, but he said the way that the conversation is kind of so disjointed and that little bit of lag time made it very awkward, and um, it just wasn't the same. Right, because, you know, two people will try to start talking, and then they will stop, and then mm-hmm. they will start talking. Yeah, it's... Yeah. It's for birds. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I guess... I guess, like, the American that I am, who loves drink alcohol, but also feels really guilty about it, I really liked this book, but I also kind of didn't like it. <laughs> I don't know, I got nothing. I thought it was hilarious. He's a Canadian professor and he talks about how they started this like boozy night out after like <laughs> class and how they didn't mean to be excluding other people, but they were, but then they didn't want to do anything about it. And I was like, that seems so Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. Were there any other words uh, you want to give? I don't think so. I think we've covered pretty much everything I had highlighted that I wanted to talk about with the book. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you for coming up with the outline and the discussion questions. It made it really easy. So, yeah. And thanks everyone for listening. Have a good night. We'll see you next month. Bye. Bye.